Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Tonight, we are going through the book of John. Make it a fun thing with your family. Get your kids together. Get get with your wife. Let's get into the word of God. Make it a fun thing. This is kid-friendly tonight. We will not be talking about explicit content. I know some of our videos, like, you know, the podcast we had last week, it's, it's not for children, but this will be absolutely for kids. Get your Bible out. If you're like, well, I haven't been joining before, you can jump in right now tonight. We're going to lead you through it. This is Bible study night. You can jump in with me. If you don't know, on the YouTube channel, we have done on live stream, Every single verse, verse by verse Bible study, the entire book of Revelation, the entire book of Acts, the entire book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and now we are doing the book of John. I don't know how long it's going to take us. It's been like two, three months and we're on chapter 10, but my one of my life's goal, which might sound like an interesting life goal to you, but I'm an interesting person, is to teach every single verse out of the New Testament on live stream. I want to have it archived. All those other videos are archived so you can go through the book of Revelation with me. You can go through the book of Philippians, whatever it is you want to go through. Book of Acts, I'm going through verse by verse. It takes a lot of time. There are least viewed videos, but I love teaching the word of God. I love going verse by verse. For those of you that are like, oh, you're just some crazy charismatic that doesn't read the Bible. We literally go verse by verse in our live stream. So tonight, verse by verse through the book of John. I'll break it down. I'll explain it. I have some side teachings that we'll go off into along with some of the stuff we're going to talk about in chapter 10 here, but let's jump in. I'm going to do this because some of you don't have a Bible. So we are going to put it on screen for you. How's that? Is that better? We'll put it on screen. We'll flip through when I have long points I'm going to make. I'll put it on just me. We'll go back to the Bible, but let's read together. We'll talk about this. I'll give my commentary. And we will, you know, see what God has to say, see what God has to do. If you're just jumping in, New King James Version. And we are on chapter 9 of the New King James Version. You're wondering why yours doesn't match. And let me make sure I hit my record button. There we go. We are recording. We are going into chapter 9. So open your Bibles to John chapter 9. If you don't know what John is, go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the last. It's not considered a synoptic gospel. The same guy who wrote the book of Revelation wrote the book of John. So here we are in the book of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. It says, now as Jesus passed by, by the way, all the other previous episodes you can find on my YouTube channel under the playlist, the book of John. What do you know? It's actually named the book of John. How convenient is that? So we're going to go into John chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So I want you to notice the concern of the disciples, first thing I think about, is similar to our concern. They're not concerned with helping the guy. They're concerned to figuring out why is this man the way that he is. And I think one of the major problems that we have in the body of Christ in the church is we always want to diagnose everybody, but we don't want to actually help people with what they're going through. So our goal is not just to diagnose you saying, oh, you have a demonic spirit. Oh, oh, you're sick in body. Or, oh, you need to go to therapy or whatever it is. We want to bring solutions. We want to just not figure out why you are that way. But if you do have a demon, because I've been given the same spirit that raised Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost resides in me, I want to, have, I want to be able to walk and exercise the power to cast that thing out of you. If you're sick in body, the Bible says we will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So I want to lay my hand on you and see God heal you. So the question is, where is the help? in the church we're so quick to say look at this person they're blind why are they this way but the question shouldn't just be why are they this way the question should be if god is in me 
Is it possible I can help them out? Like, is it possible that we believe tonight that Jesus said we have the power to lay hands on the sick and they will recover? And we, we believe that in a sense, but actions speak louder than words. And we don't, as Christians, oftentimes lay hands on the sick. We don't, as Christians at time, cast out devils. We don't, as Christians at times, pray for people and anoint them with oil like the Bible says to do and encourage them and preach the word of God to them and bring them the good news. And so we can't just diagnose people and say this community is wrong or that community is wrong. We need to bring the truth to them. So this is what he says here. Now let's look at verse three. Jesus answered, and this is a very interesting story. We're not going to pretend like we all fully understand it. It's it, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting points to it. But Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So he said, was it his sin? He says, no, not his, this man or his parents. But this is why. Here's the here's the reason. Look at right here. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And so Jesus says, God allowed this, didn't cause it. Now I want you to know, it doesn't say God caused the man to be blind. So just be careful here. God allowed the man to be born blind so that in his blindness, Jesus can demonstrate his healing power in the man. Now, scholars don't understand this. Theologians can't understand this. The man was just born blind so that God can heal him. But Jesus goes, understand, my ways are not your ways. We've tried to take eternal, infinite principles and put them into our finite mind and say, why would God allow me to go through this? Maybe you're going through something now and you're saying, why would God allow me to go through what I'm going through? Why would God allow me to go through this heartbreak or this hurt? Or God is allowing this sickness in my life. But understand, God will allow certain things so that his glory can be revealed at the right time so that God can get maximum glory even in, I know people hate when I say this, even in my suffering, that God works all things together for good of those who have called according to his purpose. God works things out. Even if you're blind or deaf or in pain or sick in body, God says, I'm working these things out on your behalf. So again, I want to come up with this theological answer of well you know when you're born there's but there's no theological answer the answer is god allowed this man to be blind so the works of god can be revealed in him so that jesus can come do this miracle and jesus would get ultimate glory and i think we as christians have a hard time we struggle to believe god will allow hardships in our life so his glory can be made manifest excuse me in those hardships like some of the most powerful times i've ever had seeing the presence of God, seeing the power of God, seeing the glory of God in my life was in moments where I was struggling, was in moments I was going through hardships. I remember our daughter was in the NICU for 12 days and in that time where she was sick and the doctor said, we're gonna have to do surgery. I cried out to God like I've never cried out to God before and God healed my daughter and he got maximum glory for that because the doctors couldn't say we did this but the glory of God was revealed. So even in sickness, even in death, even in times of trials and times of pain, the glory of God is made manifest. So don't count out your trials right now. Whatever you're going through, don't go, oh man, I'm going through something with my kid. Maybe it's your, your son. Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe you're going through a health issue with your kids right now. Maybe you're going through a health issue with your spouse, or maybe you're going through a health issue and you're going, God, how could you do anything with this? And God says, the man's blind his whole life. So the works of God can be revealed. Maybe you're going through what you're going through so that the works of God can be revealed in your life. I would rather 
go through a storm and then have God move in my life than to just ignore God outside the storm. Like the storms bring me closer to the one that's with me in the storms. So he doesn't promise us that we won't have storms. He promises he'll be with us and the glory of God will be made manifest even in these things. And look at John, look what Jesus does. Now, Jesus doesn't just say that. Jesus responds in verse six. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. One commentator said this, oftentimes Jesus would use unconventional means to produce supernatural results. If a doctor today tried to restore sight with a mud pie made of saliva, he would be laughed out of medicine or sued for malpractice. But Jesus got away with it. In ancient days, people thought spit had the power to heal. Since it was linked with magical arts, Jewish people were very suspicious of it. If this man knew that Jesus used to make the mud he put on his eyes, he would have been disgusted and uncomfortable. He would have been disgusted and uncomfortable. The blind man must have been quite a sight walking across town with mud pies in his eyes. He probably felt foolish. Certainly, people would have stared at him, and he would have felt their stares even though he couldn't see them. Maybe he debated with himself about whether washing away the mud would work. Nevertheless, he went to the pool, was obedient. And this took a lot of faith and it also gave him sight. So we don't understand the ways that God works. Some people say, well, God would never work in a weird way. Or maybe they see a, something weird happen in the church and they say, God, that could never be God. That's not God. But here we have Jesus using mud, which by the way, we were created from the dust, from the dirt. So there's a whole revelatory sermon we can preach there. We won't, we won't tonight. But Jesus, in a very simple sense, spits in the mud, uses the mud, puts it over the guy's eyes and the guy gets healed he responds and this is really the bottom line jesus can do miracles in whatever way he wants like who am i as a preacher or a pastor to try to tell god he can or can't do a miracle the way i think he should do it like i wouldn't i wouldn't think man i'm gonna spit in mud and put mud on a guy's eye yet jesus does these unconventional natural things that produce supernatural results and i think oftentimes was just to offend the intellect was just to offend these religious leaders who wanted to make everything rational, logical, and contextualize everything in, a, in an intellectual way and go, well, that doesn't make sense to me. And, and the Pharisees were always looking to do this. And you know what? Let me say this. The Pharisees of our day, which there's Pharisees all over the place still, they still try and do this. They don't understand the supernatural. So anything that happens that's weird to them, they go, that must not be God. And friend, let, let me be the first to say, I've been so convicted of this. I'm always doing this. I'm always like, I don't know, Lord, that's kind of weird. Is that you? But then I'm like, okay, you did a lot weirder things in the Bible. So I'm not going to get on here and say, that guy is not doing real miracles. That must not be God because it doesn't look like it. The, like I wouldn't do it that way if I was God. And, and the answer is, I'm not God. You're not God. So if God works in weird, we'd say weird ways or mysterious ways, the answer is this. He's God. He can do what he wants. You don't have to understand it. There's no scripture in the Bible that says like, it's not God if you don't understand it. We're not called to understand everything. We're called to believe. He didn't say, you need to understand this. He said, you need to believe this. So the idea that we need to like intellectually understand everything God is doing in other people's ministry, other people's life is just not biblical. There were many things that went against common logic that did not make sense. So just because something is weird or unconventional does not mean that it's not God. Let's look at what verse eight says. Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is the, uh, this is he. Others said he is like him. He said, I am he. 
Verse 10, therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And the man said, I don't know. This is what should happen when God radically touches us and changes us. This is what should happen when God, when we encounter God and we go from spiritual blindness to being able to see, people should say, wait a minute, weren't you the guy that used to party with us? Weren't you, they see you preaching and they say, weren't you that same guy that used to do drugs and drink and party and be lost? Weren't you the guy that was an atheist in college and now you're on YouTube preaching? Like the effect of our friends and family after salvation should be, weren't you this way, but now you're this way. This is every one of us watching this, our testimony tonight. I was blind, but now I see. Well, who did it? Where is he at? I can't give you all the theological answers. I could just tell you, I was blind and now I see. And this miracle stirred up a lot of talk. A lot of people were talking when this miracle happened. They wanted to know how did this happen and who did this? And these should be, write this down, two important components that we include in the elements of our testimony. We should include how it happened and who did it. This is what happened to me. I can't explain all of it, but I was this way and now I'm this way. Well, who did it? Jesus did it. So these are two elements I would include if you're sharing testimony, how it happened and who did it because it's underrated. Most people don't talk about this, but this is what caused a stir. Verse 13, the Pharisees, look at this, spoiler alert, excommunicate the the healed man. Verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So we know they're already, they're already going to be mad because these Pharisees, they, they, you know, you can't do nothing on the Sabbath day. So here we go. Then the Pharisees who, uh, then the Pharisees also asked him again, how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay in my eyes and I wash and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this is, oh, Pharisees are no different today. This is their response to a man born blind. A man, hold on, let me let me hit somebody here real quick on Facebook with the band hammer. A man born blind, a man, I'm quick, like I could ban people while I'm preaching. The, the result of the Pharisees is they're mad. This is their answer. Verse 16, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner do these signs? And there was division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened up your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. The Pharisees are not even worried about that this man was blind and now he can see. They're worried about Jesus working on the Sabbath. And the same thing happens in Luke 13. Jesus delivers a lady of a spirit of infirmity and they get mad. And then Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites because you untie your donkey on the Sabbath. Yet you're mad that I've untied this daughter of Abraham from demonic, a demonic bondage. So this is what happens. The man can see and the Pharisees focus on the Sabbath, not the man seeing. This is so confusing to me how you could have deliverance ministries or healing ministries or revival ministries where thousands of people get delivered, thousands of people get healed, thousands of people, there's real fruit in our ministries. People like testimonies of people's life change and they'll go, oh, I really don't know if I believe his doctrine about some secondary issue or whether he believes it's called possession or oppression or whether he believes in pre-trib or post-trib or whether he believes in, it's like, dude, are you, are you focusing on the wrong things? The focus should be real lives are being changed. Maybe his doctrine isn't exactly like mine. 
Maybe I don't fully agree with his eschatology or soteriology or uh, whatever the way he exegetes the scripture. And you can be religious about all of that. But you know what? Apart from all of that, these people are blind that he's reaching and now they see. So we have a lot of people that preach and they're against moves of God, but they're ignoring the fruit. Like how could you? The guy was blind and you're focusing on he did this on the Sabbath. And this is where the Pharisees really start getting mad here. Verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him. Of course they don't believe. This is, the, this is lots of Christian religious YouTubers. This is the sums up their whole ministry. Did not believe. Don't believe in miracles for today. Don't believe the gifts are for today. Don't believe casting out demons is for today. They just don't believe. And you're going to see tonight, no matter what they see, what happens, they still don't believe. Concerning him, that he'd been blind and received his sight. Until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked. Now they're going to question the parents. They asked them, verse 19, saying, I know, sorry, it's hard to follow me. I talk fast, but hey, you could rewind there or put it on slow mode. Is this your son who you say was born blind? And how does he now see? Verse 20, his parents answered and said, we know that is our son and that he was born blind. Verse 21, but by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews for the Jews already agreed, agreed that anyone confessed that he was a Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 23, therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they're going back and forth. They're asking his parents. His parents are like, why do you keep coming and asking us? Go directly to him, ask him. You don't need to make a YouTube video about him. Okay, you don't need to go writing letters about him, asking in comment sections, just go ask him. You don't believe and agree with whatever happened to him? You think it's fake whatever he's saying? You don't believe it? Because they didn't believe. Go ask him. Verse 24, so again, they called the man that was blind and said, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. So they're saying glorify God, but Jesus is a sinner. This is what the religious people are saying. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know though, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know the theological answer you want from me. The guy's saying, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. If some of you don't have all your theology together and don't know it all, share your testimony still. Maybe you just got saved. You're like, well, I need to go through Bible college first. Listen, praise the Lord for Bible college. I did four years. I do have a college degree in theology. I know that's surprising to some of you, but you don't see me getting on here flaunting my degree. Like I've never laid my theology degree on someone and they got healed. I've never laid my theology degree on someone and they got delivered. I've never laid my theology degree on an unsaved person and they got saved. But I have shared the testimonies of what God has done and the word of God and shared testimonies and seeing God do miraculous works and see people be born again. So don't wait until you have it all together or know it all. You can share right now that you were blind, but now you see. Like theologically, he did not have the answers they were looking for. They were looking for, well, he wasn't the Messiah that was prophesied about in Isaiah 50. He, they didn't, he didn't have all that. Pharisees always want a theological answer, but some people can just say, I don't know. I just know I was blind and now I see. You might be against deliverance. Maybe your pastor's coming against you. That whole casting out devils thing isn't real. And you go, I don't know. I just know that I was suicidal and now I'm not anymore. I just know that a voice was telling me to take my life and then God came and gave me life. I just know that I was battling anxiety and fear and shame and guilt and condemnation and cutting myself and angry all the time. And someone prayed for me, a demon screamed out of me and now I'm delivered and I don't have those desires anymore. Like at some point, we have to stop dissecting everything, 
trying to figure everything out and go, I was blind and now I see. Like God's done a real work in my life. So don't be ashamed to just sh share your testimony. Verse 27. He, uh, he answered, verse 26, then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Like, man, you know, sometimes religious people, I, I, I see some of their stuff. I'm like, they're just annoying. Like, honestly, I, I, I want to be nice about it. I'm, I'm nice. I don't call people out by name. I'm not, a, I'm not out here being rude, but some of them are just annoying. And I read the scripture and I, I look at these religious people. I'm like, these guys were so annoying. They're just constantly accusing Jesus of being false and don't believe anything. And they ask the same questions over and over and they literally see a man go from being blind to see and they still don't believe. It's like, oh man, they're just so annoying. Verse 27, this is what he says to them. I told you already and you did not listen. Wow. This is, I feel like this could be one of my life stories here. I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you believe? I already told you. I already told you a million times. I have 60 videos about why I believe casting out demons is for today. I've already told you, you don't, oh, I want to have a debate with you. You don't need to debate me. Just go watch my videos. I'm not going to change my mind. I still believe in casting out demons. So I, I've been here. I told you already, and you did not listen. This is what the man is telling the religious people. Why do you want to hear it again? How many times do I have to tell you? I believe this. This is what scripture says. It's real. Some of you are like, I feel like I've been here before. Do you also want to become his disciple? So the man gets snarky with them. He gets snarky. He goes, do you also want to be his disciple? Because you're sure asking a lot of questions. Like it blows my mind. It's like, you don't believe in casting out devils or healing the sick, but you sure are always asking and making videos about it. I, I, I don't know. It's a little sus to me. Do you also want to be his disciples? Verse 28. Look at this. Then they rev uh, reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses's disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, why is this a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from, yet, you, yet he has opened up my eyes? Now we know that God does not hear sinners. This is what they respond. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it has been unheard of anyone. Open the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins and you are teaching us. So they, they don't like what he's telling them. He's basically saying, no one's ever done this before. So this has to be God. And because they don't like it, because they don't like what he has to say, they start attacking his character. They, this, this is what we call an ad hominem. They're attacking his character instead of his argument. And they're saying, you were completely born in sins. Why are you teaching us? After they're the ones asking him, it's like, dude, you came to me and you're harassing me. And now you're here accusing me of being born in sin and mad that I'm teaching you. And this is the one sentence here that is so relevant and still happens all the time in the church. And they cast him out. This is what happens in the American church when God heals you, when God delivers you, when God saves you, when you have a radical testimony. It's sad that we live in a day where if you start casting out demons in the church, they cast you out of the church. So if you manifest a demon at your church, most churches, instead of casting the demon out of you, they'll actually cast you out of the church. And what a sad time to be alive in the church of Jesus, where people are getting healed and delivered and we're kicking them out of the church. Leonard Ravenhill said, you get fired for being on fire. Now, I got fired for being on fire before, more than once. I got kicked out of 
or let's just say this way, ask nicely to leave churches because I was too passionate, too radical, and they could not control me. I, and I, I hate to say it that way because some of you know some of the churches I'm talking about. At the end of the day, they could not control what God was doing. They could not control the revival. They could not control people getting delivered. They couldn't control people getting healed. And I got asked nicely. I got gently cast right out. Many of you have as well. This is what happened to the man. The Bible says, and they cast out the man because he was sharing his faith. And then look at here. Jesus heard that they, ca- they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered, he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then, the, then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus knew he'd been kicked out. Jesus had a heart to, to those that were abandoned. Jesus goes, religion might abandon you. And this is a word for some of you. Religion might kick you out of the denomination or the fellowship. I know many pastors who've gotten kicked out of their fellowship for believing in the miraculous today. And he says, they may have abandoned you, but Jesus goes, I'm here for you. I won't abandon you. Do you believe in the son of God, which is one of Jesus's names, the son of God, the man wanting to know more about Jesus. Here's what's crazy. The man went from being blind to getting his sight back to worshiping Jesus. And the guys that studied Jesus their entire lives that were supposed to know the Messiah when he came, according to the book of Isaiah, could not see Jesus standing right in front of him. Yet a man who was born blind had more faith, more expectation, and more vision than this guy did. And look at Jesus' response in verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Now this sentence here, he's talking about the Pharisees. They see, they claim to see, but they've been made blind because they don't truly see. And then look what he says in verse 40. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said, are we blind also? Like Jesus, are you talking about us? Verse 41, look at what Jesus says. If you were blind, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So Jesus is basically using the blind man to illustrate his purpose of coming in the earth and to be coming to the earth and to be put simply, he came to give us spiritual sight and they were spiritually blind. He came to confirm those that were self-righteous that they were blind. The self-righteous people, they hate the light. They, they don't want to see. And Jesus was going, you guys claim to see yet clearly this entire true vision and true blindness is about these religious leaders that can't see the Messiah standing right in front of them. Like God is moving pastor right in front of you and you fail to recognize what God is doing. You can watch a video. You can watch a video of somebody getting delivered and healed and still go, I don't really believe that. I don't really know if that's biblical. And, and Jesus says this, therefore your sin remains. Cause you say, you see, you say you're not blind. You say, you know, God, you say you've been to Bible college. You have all the theology yet. Here you are with doubt, with unbelief, not believing. All right, let's go into chapter 10 here. Chapter 10, if you have your Bible, pull it out. If not, I'll have it on screen. Some of the longer points here, I will put just me on screen. But here we go. We're going to go into verse 10. Most assuredly, I say to you. Now, I want, I want to say this before we go into verse 10. John did not write this, uh, the book of John, with chapters or verses. So when you read the Bible, originally in the, old manu- the original manuscripts, there was no chapters or verses. So read this as a long letter. So don't separate and go, oh, now we're in chapter 10. This is continuing on. He's talking to the Pharisees here. They're talking about spiritual blindness, and now he goes directly into Jesus, the true shepherd. So again, there's no break. There's no days in between. This is right away. Most assuredly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So remember, remember, original writing, no chapters, no verses. Jesus switches from talking to the Pharisees about blindness to talking to the Pharisees about sheep tending. And as religious leaders, these Pharisees, I'm going to make this very simple, were supposed to be shepherds of God's people. They're supposed to be leading the people of God. So he's not addressing, so he's now addressing them based on their lack of shepherding. They're actually false shepherds. And instead of drawing people towards God to follow God, they're drawing people away from God. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's going, you guys are false shepherd. They might, this might be confusing, but they understood this. Often in those days, there was a community sheepfold that one man would guard. A whole bunch of sheep, one man would guard it while all the other shepherds would go home and sleep. The guard who is guarding all the sheep at night. So this is a lot of sheepfolds, a lot of groups of sheep. He knew all the shepherds and he let them in through the gate. But if a thief would come, they wouldn't be able to get in. So they would have to climb over a wall or they'd have to climb over the fence. And then if they were going to steal the sheep or hurt the sheep, they'd have to bring the sheep back over the fence because they couldn't go through the main door. So it was very inconvenient to do. And because the sheep knew their shepherd's voice, all the shepherd had to do when he entered the sheepfold because the gatekeeper would let him in was the shepherd would just call his sheep by name when he entered the pen and the animals would follow him out to go graze on the hillside. So they knew the shepherd's voice, the one that was guarding the sheepfold, this would be the pastor, the leader, are you guys tracking? Wouldn't let thieves in. He knew the shepherd. So he's like, we're not going to let anyone else in. When the shepherds came in, they would hear his voice. Now, the interesting thing about this is although he's not talking about the devil in context, the devil does try to climb in another way. The Bible says that the thief and the robber, which I want to make something very clear, is not in this text talking about the devil, but the devil is a thief and robber. The Bible says the thief and robber looks for some other way to get in to attack the sheep. And this is usually how the devil comes into our lives. Demons don't enter in just through the main door. They don't say, hey, by the way, my name's a spirit of anger or bitterness or murder or addiction. They look for other ways in. They look for innocent doorways. They don't announce themselves and say, I'm entering your life because you're watching this. I'm entering your life because you're doing this. Demons look for another way in, another way into the sheepfold. So the devil usually doesn't enter in through conventional methods. But remember, in the text, it's talking about the ungodly leaders of Israel, ungodly pastors, ungodly shepherds. So he says, I, I want you to focus on the end here. Let me pull this back up. I want you to focus on the end where it says the sheep hear his voice. Knowing the voice of the shepherd and knowing God's voice, hearing the voice of God, which we'll talk about more tonight, is essential. If you don't know the voice of Jesus, you will be prone to following other voices. Many of us get off into false doctrine, false teaching, and following false shepherds because we don't know the voice of God, so we don't have nothing to line up the voice of the enemy with. Verse 4, you're going to learn something here. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. Notice what it says here. This is the true shepherd. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from the stranger, because they don't know the voice of the stranger. Jesus used this illustration, and they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So notice what it says about a true shepherd or what it says about Jesus, our ultimate shepherd, our heavenly shepherd, is he goes before them. And I want you to notice this. God is going before you. 
You're not going to work alone. You're not going to school alone. You're not going through the trial that you're going through right now alone, but God is going before you to follow him. They're following him because they know his voice and they're being led by the voice of God. The voice of God is not just in scripture. The voice of God is alive and well, and God is still speaking today. There are many in the reformed cessationists, even the Baptist camps that say God doesn't speak anymore today, only his Bible, everything God ever wants to say is in the word. This is just not scriptural. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. God is still speaking to people. God's voice can still be heard in this generation. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I could name 20 stories and testimonies of God really speaking to people and it changing everything, including my own life. So the idea that God is no longer speaking is absolutely 1000% not biblical and not true. God is still speaking. I'll tell you ways that God speaks here today in a second. And then it says, they'll not follow a stranger, but they'll flee for him. Now the stranger is in context, because we got to make sure that we're not just making stuff up here in context. The stranger is the Pharisee. The Pharisees, the, the thief, the stranger, leading people astray. And Jesus actually describes our relationship with him as the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. Okay, he says they hear his voice. So the mark of a true believer is they're going to hear my voice. They're going to follow me. And I would propose to you tonight that many of you do hear the voice of God. You just don't know that he's speaking and you just don't oftentimes listen. But the more you listen, the more you know how he speaks the more in tune you get with his voice and the more your life is going to change and you'll be led by the spirit. But I love what he says about the true sheep won't follow deceivers or strangers because they know the voice of God. And because I know his voice, when an outside voice, a false teacher or leader's voice speaks up, I recognize that's not the voice of God. When someone says you have to sow $58.99 right now to get a prophetic word from God, I'm like, ah, that's not the voice of God. I know my shepherd and my shepherd doesn't financially abuse people. My shepherd isn't, uh, isn't um, impatient, isn't rude, isn't abusive. He doesn't walk out on people. He doesn't use pr- prophecy as a form of manipulation. He doesn't use deliverance to abuse people and get his way. I know my shepherd. And so when I hear false teachers, I know that's not God because I know my shepherd and I know what the word of God says. So because now I know his voice, sorry, Mr. False Prophet or Miss False Prophet, I'm not following you. So when other spirits come that aren't the Holy Spirit, that try to get me off track, I know, because I know the voice of the Holy Spirit, I know that voice is not God speaking to me. So you obey the voice of God. When Adam and Eve started obeying the voice of the snake rather than the voice of God, we see the fall of mankind because they obeyed a different voice. So let me give you, I'll try not to take super long on this, but let me just give you a couple ways I've learned over the years. If you're taking notes, write these down. I'll go through them quick. I've taught them extensively in the past, but let me just give you a couple ways that God speaks to us today. Number one, as a still small voice, write that down, a still small voice. This is one of the most common ways I believe God is still speaking. This is one of the most common ways I hear the voice of God is that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the whisper of God. I know I yell a lot, but when God speaks, he oftentimes doesn't yell at people. He oftentimes whispers. So there's two things I want you to know about the whisper of God. Number one is the farther you are from God, the harder it will be to hear him whisper. If you're far off, you're not going to be able to hear somebody whispering. So God, the distance between you and God is the determining factor whether you can hear that whisper. If you're 100 feet away from me, you're not going to hear me whisper. But if you're this close... 
you're going to hear me whisper. So what would cause distance in my life? What would make it to be very simple? Why God is so far and I can't hear the whisper of God? The Bible says it this way. Sin separates us from God. Sin is breaking the laws of God. Sin is missing the mark of God. So sin creates distance, causing me to not hear the voice of God clearly. The second thing that prevents us, so we're still on the first way God speaks, but the second reason why we don't hear the small voice is there's so many other noises in our life. There's so many people competing for our attention, competing for our time, competing and speaking out to us and the media and the fake news and family members and our job and our boss and our kids and our career and all these other noises on social media and opinions. Sometimes you do need to isolate yourself and turn everything off, take a break, all the other voices, demons, yeah, someone said demons too, yeah, demons also, all the other voices, get alone with God, say, I'm not going to watch the news this week, I'm not going to get on social media this week, I'm not going to do everything I usually do, I'm going to get alone and hear the whisper of God, this will change everything, now where's that in the Bible, 1 Kings 19.11, the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Verse 13 of 1 Kings 19. Verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God was showing Elijah, it's not always extravagant when I speak. He wasn't in the extravagant wind. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the shakings and the earthquake. He was in the small voice. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? There are moments when we are in the wilderness, we're isolated, we've ran from God, where God says, what are you doing here? And that still small voice comes. So oftentimes we hear it through the still small voice. That is number one. God was in that gentle whisper. So distance, noise. Okay. Number two, how God speaks. This is a good one. Through the Bible. This is a major way that God speaks. People say, Isaiah, I want to hear God. And I tell them sometimes, read the Bible out loud. Okay. The Bible speaks. God speaks through his word. You cannot go wrong looking for God's voice in his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished into all good works. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So there is something about the word of God. There's two Greek words for word. There's the logos, and there's also the rhema. The Logos is the John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus was the the personified Logos of God. He was the embodiment of the Father's mind, counsel, and purpose. Remember in John 14, 9, he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus was a representative of the Father. Everything he saw the Father do, he says, I've done. What I say is because I've heard the Father say it. That's the Logos. And then there's also the Rhema, which is the spoken word of God. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every Rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the Rhema is the spoken word of God. Jesus is implying 
God has rhema for us every day. Let me read that again. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every rhema or word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So here's Jesus in Matthew 4, 4 saying, I speak still. God is speaking daily, daily bread. But then we have a bunch of religious people. That's what they are. Sorry if you are one that go, oh, God's not speaking anymore today. He already spoke everything in his word. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said every rhema or word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So that's how we live. We live our lives by that rhema word that speaks out. And then we can also look to the logos of the word of God. So Jesus is implying God has something to say to us every day. Does God want to speak to us every day? Well, let's see. I'm in love with my wife. And since me and my wife got married, which was 10 years ago, I don't think there's been one day that we haven't spoke. I'm pretty sure there's not been one day in 10 years we haven't spoke. So if I have a desire to speak to my wife every day, why is it so hard for us to believe that God wants to speak every single day? Like, why is it so hard to believe that the God that we serve would desire to speak to us every single day? The question isn't, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? So the word of God is alive. The Bible's a great place to start and God will also speak through his word. I remember I've told the story before. I had just gotten saved. I had pretty much effectively lost at that moment all my friends. I felt like I was had no friends. I heard about my old friends talking bad about me, saying, you know, Isaiah's crazy. All my friends I felt like had abandoned me. They were making fun of me. They thought I was crazy. I was hearing stories about what they were saying and I was discouraged. I was going, God, is this real? Will you speak to me? And I did one of those. You know, I don't recommend trying to do this every day, but I opened up the Bible. I just said, Lord, I need your word. I'm, I'm discouraged. I opened up the Bible, okay? And I opened to 1 Peter 4.4. 4. I'm discouraged. I'm crying. I just heard some of my best friends that I grew up with my whole life saying, oh, Isaiah's gone off the deep end. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. He's, he's a loser. All this. And this is what I opened to. Are you ready? I opened to 1 Peter 4.4, 4, which was written thousands of years ago. This is, what it's, this is the exact verse I opened to. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the wild flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. What? You're telling me 2,000 years later, I open up a book with 1,000 pages in it. I'm discouraged because my old friend slandered me. And this is what I open to. Word for word. Of course. Peter says this. Of course. Your former friends are surprised when you no longer, no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. I'm like, dude, why your God, you're speaking to me. I'm, I was crying. I was like, Lord, you're speaking to me through a book that was written thousands of years ago. Yet in the exact moment of what I was going through. And I'm, I read that word for word, y'all. I just read 1 Peter 4.4. 4. If you don't believe it, Google it. Word for word. And God goes, zooms in 7 billion people. I go, Lord, I need you to speak to me. And I open up the Bible and God zooms in and speaks to me, 7 billion people. And the word of God becomes alive in me, quickens my spirit and gave me what I needed, that bread to go another day when I was ready to quit and discourage. That is the power of the word of God. Now I'm not saying play Bible roulette and just open it every day and go, God speak to me. There needs to be prayer and fasting and seeking and reading the word, but God speaks through his word. Don't let anyone tell you different. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. When you pick up the Bible, the Bible picks you up. I've said it before. When you dust off the word of God, the word of God dusts you off. 
So Jesus said the spirit will lead you into all truth. Not the Bible, but the spirit. So when you read the Bible with the Holy Spirit, you're led into truth. Because a lot of cults use the Bible. So we need the Holy Spirit to use the word of God and to lead us into truth. Okay, that's number two. Number three, God ways God speaks. Type one of this is good. God speaks through prayer. The majority of times I've had my radical encounters or I've gotten words of direction when I was when it was when I was praying. In fact, I don't think I can think of a time where I got a word from God, a strong word of direction where I wasn't in prayer. So putting yourself in prayer. Remember, write this down. Prayer is God's phone number. Prayer is our lifeline. It's the phone number of God. If you're like, I need to get a hold of God. What, what, what number do I call? It's not 911. It's P-R-A-Y-E-R. And I know that sounds cheesy and I'm pretty sure I just made that up. But prayer is literally, prayer is literally the phone number of God. If you want to get in t- talks or in touch or in contact with God, get in the place of prayer. That's literally, his number is prayer. That's his number. So make it a habit of praying in the spirit. Make it a habit of praying throughout the day. I would say this, treat prayer like oxygen. Treat prayer like oxygen. Let me, let me go a step further. Don't let prayer be your spare tire. Let it be your steering wheel. Don't let prayer, tweet this because I don't have Twitter. Don't let prayer be your spare tire. Let prayer be your steering wheel. Do not pull out a prayer when you break down on the side of the road. Steer your life with prayer. Use prayer as oxygen. It's like I, I've never forgot to breathe, so I don't want to forget to pray. I want to pray without ceasing. I want to have communication. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. So what should I have anxiety about? Nothing. What, well, what do I do? I'm, I'm anxious. And I, I am an anxious person at times. So what do I do? You're telling me not to be anxious? Come on. What, do you, what should I do? Be anxious for nothing. But, oh, there, oh, there's an answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, but and everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be known to God. And this is what's going to happen. Oh, I love this verse. So good. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That is incredible. So I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm an anxious person. Isaiah is. I'm an anxious person. I'm anxious. But here's what I need to do. Prayer and supplication. Let God know what you're going through. And then he'll give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. So don't be afraid to pray. If you're struggling, pray. Okay, so number three is prayer. I got to go through these. Okay, number four is God speaks through other people. Prophecy is to speak words from God. Now, prophecy is not always predicting something. People think prophecy is like, tomorrow the world's going to end. That's not always prophecy. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, Paul gives this definition of simple prophecy. He says, but everyone who prophesies speaks unto men edification, exhortation, and comfort. So prophecy is not just foretelling or forthtelling. It's also edification, exhortation, and comforting people. So when... We prophesy over people. We're speaking words from God. So God will speak through other people. When, when your pastor's preaching, you should be hearing from God. You should be like, this is God speaking. Every pastor that preaches at my church, I'm going, okay, Lord, I'm listening to it as if you're speaking to me. And this is what Paul told the church in Thessalonica. He said, I thank God that when I came, you took it as the very words of God, which of course it is. So when they heard Paul preaching, they took it as the very words of God. Now, I, w- I would love, I wish the Holy Spirit would just show up right here. I wish I could hit start streaming, start recording, and the Holy Ghost could just speak to us. I would love it. I would just sit here and listen. I would, the Holy Ghost was was willing to do that. I would never want to speak. Just let the Holy Ghost speak. But the bottom line is the Holy Ghost does do that. He does it through people. So when I'm preaching or your pastor or another man of God that you're listening to, 
take it as the words, take it as God's speaking to you. So don't say, oh, God didn't, God didn't speak to me. Like when people come up to me after I preach, they're like, the Lord hasn't been speaking. I'm like, dude, I just preached for an hour, the word of God. And you don't believe that was God was speaking through me. So God speaks through human vessels. The Holy Spirit speaks through people. I have a lot of teachings. You go, you can go watch my whole video on hearing the voice of God. Number five, the Holy Spirit will nudge you. Some say this is a gut feeling an intuition. For me, it's a, it's a certain way I feel where I can't shake it. Like if I'm supposed to witness to somebody or evangelize or pray for somebody, I get this overwhelming desire and I can't get rid of it. And it's just like, you have to do this. That's what I call the Holy Spirit nudging. That's number five. The Holy Spirit will nudge you. It's a hard principle to teach. It's a hard principle to understand. But if you know, you know, you've been nudged by the Holy Ghost before, you know, you know. Okay. Number six, dreams and visions. Don't overlook this. Acts 2.17. God says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Like I'm living a vision. I saw me doing this the night I got saved. God gave me a vision of me preaching to thousands and millions of people. So visions are powerful. Dreams are powerful. I have entire videos on dreams and visions you can watch on the channel. So that's number six. Number seven is however he wants. That's how God speaks. However he wants. We don't tell God how he's supposed to speak or how he could speak. God can speak how he wants. He can speak what he wants. He can speak to whoever he wants. He doesn't need anyone's permission. He could speak to the unsaved. He could speak to the saved. He could use nature and vision, small voices, loud voices, a sign on the freeway, a cartoon commercial, an animal. God used an animal to talk in the Bible. So don't, don't box God up and tell God, put him in your religious box and say, this is how you're supposed to speak. God can speak how he wants, when he wants, with who he wants. And uh, I hate to say it, but he doesn't need your permission to do it. Okay. So, well, how do I know if it's God and not the devil? I'm gonna give you two ways. You can know it's God speaking, not the devil. Number one, agreement with scripture. It'll agree with scripture. If it's the voice of God, and I have a whole teaching on this. I don't have time to go into just search my channel. And then number two, you'll have a peace in your heart about it. So if God speaks to me, it needs to line up with scripture. If it goes against the scripture, it's probably not God speaking. Okay. It's probably my own thoughts or demonic, a demonic spirit. So if God says, leave your wife, that's not God. That's not God. That's the, that's the devil. It's not God's voice. Or if I hear the voice of God and I don't have a peace about it, because the Bible says peace will rule in our hearts. If I don't have a peace about it, then it's probably not God. So I go by, does it line up with scripture? And if the answer is yes, do I have a peace about it? And that usually will help determine if it is God, if it's not God. And again, I have entire videos on this, but we actually do need to get back to the book of John because that was a little side teaching I want to throw in there. Okay. I think we're on verse seven. But we're talking about the voice of God. That's the title of the video. That's what we're emphasizing on the book of John. Verse 7. Then Jesus said again, Most surely I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So anyone that comes before me, this is what he's saying, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the Savior, they're not, they're robbers and thieves. These are false shepherds. The sheep don't hear them. And then he says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and find pasture. So we enter in through Jesus. Jesus is the only gate. These other religious leaders that were claiming to lead people to God, they were thieves and robbers, Jesus said. They don't belong to him. They were false teachers. Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the door. Anyone else that enters will go in and find pasture. And then look at verse 10 here. The thief does not. Now, this is the most mispreached, wrongly preached scripture probably in the Bible. One of them. Top three. 
The thief does not come except to still kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Okay. Very care very simple. This is not talking about the devil. Now, let me also say this. Here's the caveat. The devil, excuse me. The devil does still, he does kill and he does destroy. So if you preach this or say this, you're not wrong. But contextually, that's not what he's talking about. The thief is the religious leaders, the false religious leaders. Now they're still false religious leaders and they still, they kill and they destroy. They steal your destiny. They kill your destiny. They destroy the call of God. They destroy your destiny. They lead you astray. But just if you go read this in the Greek, nothing about the devil here. Notice the context. He's talking about, he's talking to religious leaders about false leadership. No devil anywhere. There's no demons. There's no devil here. But I know you've learned that your whole life. You're like, whoa, I didn't know that. Again, it's not a wrong statement to say the devil does that. But in context, the thief does not come to still kill and destroy. That's not talking about the devil. And then look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? Lays his life down for the sheep. This is, this is the pastors. If you're a pastor, your life should be laid down. They're not serving you. You're serving them. Verse 12. I'm, uh, but a hireling, the hireling, this is, this is the false leaders, a hireling. He who is not the shepherd. Notice it's not the devil. It's a hireling. He's not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. Now the wolf could be another, a, a false leader. It could be the devil. It could be a demon. We don't know. A wolf is someone bad that wants to eat the sheep. Okay. We know the devil's our adversary, the enemy of our soul. He comes like a roaring lion. So this, this could apply to the devil. This could apply to false leaders, many things. But the wolf comes, danger comes. That's what Jesus is saying. He leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And then look what it says. The hireling, the false leader, the Pharisee, the false pastor, flees because he's a hireling. That's why. He's a hireling and does not even, he doesn't care about the sheep. He's just there because he got hired. He got hired. He went to an interview, got hired at the church. He doesn't really care. He's just there for money. Let's be honest. He doesn't care about the sheep. And then Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by them. Okay, let's talk about this. So the good shepherd, a good pastor sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hireling. How do we know he's a hireling? Because when the wolf comes, he runs. This is why. Now, let me tie this into deliverance and, and let me make a disclaimer for all those that are going to use this because they're looking for content. All the heresy hunters are always dry on content. So they're going to find this clip it because they're in here. We, we Thanks for being here and free promotion. They're in here and they're going to say he took this verse out of context. This verse is not talking about, you know, a pastor that doesn't do deliverance, but it applies. It definitely applies to these pastors that don't fight for their congregation where the devil is running havoc in our churches. People are demonized in our churches and we don't fight the devil. We're like, oh, it's not for today. That's a hireling. When the devil comes, the devil manifests. Instead of casting the demon out of somebody, we run from the battle instead of running towards the battle. Why do pastors abandon their people when their people need them most? Because he isn't their shepherd. Because he's only doing it for a living. He doesn't truly care. It's a job to him. And, and Jesus has already accused the Pharisees of this. He's like, it's just a job to you. It doesn't even, it doesn't even matter to you. So I'm here to say it's time to fight for the sheep. It's time to fight. I am not okay with people in my church dealing with the same demons people outside the church are dealing with. We need some pastors that are going to be bold and say, I'm not a hireling. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. So the hireling runs 
abandons the sheep because they're only in it for the money, the Bible says. They're only working for the money. They're hirelings. They're not in it for the right reasons. They're in it because it's a job. It's the money. And look at, look at what he says here. As the father knows me, even so I know the father. I know my sheep and they're known by my name. Verse 15. And the father knows me and, uh, excuse me, the father knows me, even so I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep, which are not of this fold, them also I bring and they'll hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he's tying into, there's more people I'm going to reach. There's more believers than just you. My voice will be heard and there will be one flock. So there's only one flock. So the idea of Jesus coming back for multiple brides is not biblical. There's only one flock. He's not coming back for every denomination, every religion, every, it's, this is not universalism here. There will be one flock and there's only one shepherd. Sorry to tell you, there's only one. Let me highlight that right. There's only one. There's not multiple. There's one. So unity among the church is not that we agree on everything. It's not that we all agree theologically. It's that we all hear the voice of the same shepherd and we become one flock because we're all hearing the same voice. That's why. We might not agree on eschatology, soteriology, or deliverance, or miracles, or once saved, always saved, or whatever doctrine you can name. There's a thousand out there, but we're all hearing from the same shepherd and the unity comes from hearing from the true shepherd. Verse 17. I know we're like an hour and 20 minutes in. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And I love this. Verse 18. Notice this. Look at the screen here. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own self. No, no one killed Jesus. He, he laid his life down. I have the power. This is Jesus speaking. It's in red. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I've received from my father. So it appears when Jesus is dying on the cross, it appears that he's powerless to the Roman soldiers who crucified him. But Jesus makes this explicitly clear. Excuse me. Jesus goes, I chose to die. No one takes my life. I lay my life down. I willingly lay my life down for the, for the people. So not only did he die, but he says, I, I have the power to take up my life again. I have the power. I had the power when I died. And I have the power to raise, which this is a prophetic uh, statement here because he hasn't, he hasn't died yet, obviously, but he will take up that power and he will. And the same spirit that raised Christ is in us, but that same spirit did raise Christ and will, after he says this, raise him from the dead. Verse 19, therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. Many of them said, are you ready for what they accused Jesus of? How could you accuse him of anything? He's so awesome. He has a demon. Where have we heard this before? He has a demon. We've already heard this like 10 times throughout the book of John. So if you've been called that or they've said that about you because you're preaching the truth, you're in good company. He has a demon. I have been called that. There's some videos you can Google up about people saying Isaiah has a demon. He's demonized. They said he has a demon and it's mad. Why do you listen to him? Wow. Somebody's like, hey, I've heard that about you, Isaiah. You're in good company, pastor. People say, why do you listen to that pastor? Why do you listen to him? This is what they said about Jesus. If we're Christians preaching the truth, calling the world out, calling sin out, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now, some of you are like, Isaiah, you're just putting yourself in the text here. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you because I testify that their works are evil. So no, I'm not putting myself into the text. Jesus said, what they do to me, they're also going to do to you. They said, why do you listen? Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon, oh, I love this. 
Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're constantly accusing him of having a demon, but the rebuttal is, could a demon open the eyes of the blind? Why would Satan be working for God and giving God glory? People think all these teachers are false. Like everyone that does miracles, everyone that does de cast their demons, just whoever it is, whether it's Joel Osteen or whoever, name whoever you think people call a false teacher. Yet they're preaching the gospel, they're preaching Jesus, and they're calling things and saying things and whatever you feel about them. Okay, I'm not a guy that's going to go listen to a Joel Osteen or, or whoever else you could fill in the blank here. But I'm also not going to make a video saying Joel Osteen's a demon. Now, in my early days, I would, I did do that, and I realized I started picking unnecessary battles. Who am I to say who's who and who's not? I just know, hey, if Jesus is being spoken about, Paul said even if they're doing it with selfish ambition, at least the gospel's being preached. Like, if the devil's using a pastor or a leader, the devil's not going to make him preach about Jesus. The devil's not going to make that guy cast out devils. The devil's not going to make him. So say a guy is casting out demons and say he's in sin or say he's teaching some weird doctrines along with it. It doesn't mean the devil's the one leading him. He's maybe just confused. He's maybe just wrong on certain things. Maybe he has a demon, but it doesn't mean he's led by the devil just because he doesn't have a doctrine. You have like people are like, oh, you're pre-trib, I'm post-trib. Oh, you're post-trib, I'm pre-trib. You must be of the devil. So like I'm going to hell and I'm of the devil because I believe in deliverance. Like there's literally huge YouTubers that have publicly said Isaiah is going to hell word for word because he believes in casting out demons. So I'm going to hell because I believe in casting out demons. And they've said this. These big name reformed guys have said this. I'm going to hell because I believe in casting out demons. So, and again, guys, that's not about validating Joel Osteen. Trust me. I have, I, I do, would not recommend anybody listening to Joel Osteen. My point is we have to be careful demonizing people. Like I, I'm a, according to them, I'm going to hell because I believe in casting out demons. So do, do demons open the eyes of the blind? Do demons cast out demons? And the Bible says, of course they don't. Of course they don't. So when you're, when you see people doing things for God, maybe their doctrine's off. Just be like, Hey, I don't agree with this doctrine. It's off. But don't go around saying this guy has a demon, the devil's using him, he's inspired by the devil because he doesn't believe what I believe. Like, we have to be careful about this because this is the constant accusation. And I, I do not want to stand on Judgment Day and God say, you spoke against the move of the Spirit, you spoke against my servants, and you called what I was doing demonic. According to Scripture, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Like, I, there's no way to get around it. He was casting out demons, and they said, this must be the devil. And then Jesus said, this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the, this is the rebuttal that they had. And, and the answer is, of course not. Of course not. The devil doesn't bring glory to Jesus. And there's people bringing, praising Jesus. That's not the devil. Okay. And I know, again, I know a lot of you don't like Joel Osteen. I know a lot of you have your bad take, whatever. I, I think that he preaches a, a gospel that is not found in the scripture. But I'll tell you one thing. There are people that God used Joel Osteen to reach that got saved in his ministry and went on somewhere else and are pastors now and they'll tell you I got saved there at the church. So who are we to say that person's a demon, that person's a devil? I will not get on here and start calling people demons and start calling people heretics and start this and that unless I'm 150% according to scripture sure that they're teaching a salvific doctrine that's or a, a doctrine that's against scripture that's salvific. If it's not a salvation issue, we got to be careful getting on and saying, that person's a devil, that person's a devil, that person's a devil. It's just very cringe and very immature. Verse 22, 
Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him, saying, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I told you, and you do not believe. So this is the thing about religious leaders. It doesn't matter how much you tell them or what you show them. They're not going to believe. So you go like, why don't you debate these guys, Isaiah? Why don't you ever get in debates and go back and forth? I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why, because they're not going to believe. That's why they're not going to believe. So he says, I told you they do not believe. I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do. I do in my father's name and they bear witness of me. The works that I do, I do in my father's name and they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So Jesus, excuse me, over and over again, says, I already told you. I already told you I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I already told you I am Him. I am He. I've, I've used all the wording you still don't believe. No matter how much I try to convince you, I'm throwing my pearls to swine. Here's the reason because you're not my sheep. That's why you're not going to believe because you're not my sheep. Now, these are, these were followers of religious tradition, not the Jesus of the Bible. So it wasn't a issue of theology. It was a hard issue. It wasn't about just give me a good answer theologically and get your facts together. It was, they were stubborn. They are hard hearted. And it was the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors understood who Jesus was, but the religious leaders couldn't see it. The religious leaders couldn't see it. And then Jesus says, my sheep will never perish. And then he says this. I love this. Look at this. My sheep hear my voice. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, some people will say that means once saved, always saved. Once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation. It's not talking about willfully leaving God. It's talking about someone coming and taking salvation from you. So can somebody steal your salvation? No. Can the devil come and snatch you out of the hand of God? No. Can the devil come and take your salvation? No. So this is not about once saved, always saved. This is about the devil can't take you from God. Can you willingly, because we all have free will, can we willingly leave the Father's hand? Of course we can. Can we willingly turn from God? Of course we can. Can we willingly rebel and backslide? Of course we can. Israel did this constantly. Let me give you a verse that completely discredits once saved, always saved, which is a false doctrine. Galatians chapter five, verse four, you've become estranged from Christ. So you were once connected. Now you're estranged. The Galatians five, four, listen to this. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So is it possible to fall from grace? Galatians five, four says, yes. Again, this is not about people in the world. These are people that were in the grace of God. They were connected to Christ. Now they've been estranged and they've fallen from Christ. And we know that Christ, cut, the Father cuts off branches that were once connected to him. We know that names can be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. So we know that people can backslide. There's tons of pastors that have done it. Tons of pastors. If you believe in once saved, always saved. What do you say about all these pastors that were truly saved, serving God, and then decided to turn their backs on God and died whether it was in atheism or whether it was in Buddhism or whatever other false religion they were in. So yes, you can willfully turn your back on God. That's common sense and it, it's logic. No, the devil can't steal your salvation. No, 
the devil. This right here is one of the worst verses to use for uh, trying to preach eternal security, once saved, always saved. This is the worst verse because it's not even talking about that. It's talking about somebody snatching them out of God's hand. Nobody can snatch you out of the hand of God, but you with free will can leave the family of God. Of course you can. Just like your kids can rebel and leave you and never talk to you again. Of course you can. Verse 31. We're almost done. Okay. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered and said, many good works I've shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews said, saying for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. So they go, we're not stoning you for good works. We're stoning you because you're claiming to make, you're making yourself God. Jesus said, it is written in your law. I said, you are gods. This is, he's quoting a scripture here. You, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him who the father sanctified and sent to the world? You're blaspheming because I said, I'm the son of God. If I, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do though, you do not believe me because the works you believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. So he says, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father's in me and I am in him. Verse 38 is what Jesus is saying. You don't believe my preaching, believe the miraculous signs and wonders. That's what you should believe. He goes, I'm casting out demons. I'm opening the eyes of the blind. So if you don't believe my preaching, believe the miracles and know that I'm in the father and the father is in me. Therefore, they sought again to seize him and he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing. There he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true and many believed in him there. Okay, you're confused about this. I know this sounds like a confusing area. Jesus was basically saying, you and quoting a, a, a verse saying in Psalms 82, where it says, you are God's speaking of judging. When it says you are God, it's talking about judging, like judge making judgment. And he's going like, you're telling me I'm blaspheming because I'm the son of God. Yet the Bible says you are God, the lowercase gods. So how can scripture be broken? And then Jesus goes on and goes, look, basically he says, you don't believe me. You haven't believed me. You've been going back and forth with me with all this time. If you don't believe me, believe the signs and wonders and know that I am in the father and the father is in me. This is the bottom line. The signs and the wonders validated who Jesus is, who Jesus was, and the fact that Jesus is coming back. So let us break off this religious mindset that we are the ones to say what's God and what's not God. I want to believe the signs and wonders. You could either choose to believe them or you could choose to deny them. You could choose to believe them or you can choose to doubt God. Jesus went away to the Jordan where John's baptizing continued seeing miracles and many believed in him there because what john the baptist said about him is true this is what they recognize let us pray what an awesome night tonight father i pray tonight lord that you would remove spiritual blindness from us tonight lord i pray lord that you'd give us ears to hear and you'd give us eyes to see lord those that are deaf they can't hear your voice they are spiritually deaf I pray, Lord, tonight that you would open up their eyes, open up their ears, open up their hearts, take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God, tonight we pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would open up ears. I pray those that can't hear you would begin to hear you for the first time in their life. I pray they'd hear you through prayer. I pray they'd hear you through the word of God. I pray tonight they would hear your voice. I pray that still small voice, that whisper would be loud and clear, God. Lord, remove the space, God. Remove the sin in our life, God. 
Remove the compromise in our life, Lord. Send revival to our life, God. Let us hear you, Lord. I pray you would open up our ears, God. Give us appetite for the word of God. Give us a hunger for prayer. Give us a hunger and an appetite for the word of God. Anoint those listening tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Anoint those listening tonight with your power and with your Holy Spirit. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Start prayer meetings all over this this nation, God. Use the people in this broadcast for your glory and your kingdom. Lord, I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to call this person demon or that person. I don't want to demonize people, Lord. I want to cast out demons, not cast people out of my church, Father. Lord, if there's any religion in me that's not of you, that's defiled, I pray, Lord, remove it in Jesus' name. Lord, if there's any religion in me, God, that's stopping me from seeing a move of God, if there's any unbelief in me, Lord, remove it in Jesus' name tonight. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do in my heart, in my mind, in my soul. Break, Lord, the back of compromise. God, break, Lord, right now, all the doubt, all the unbelief in my heart, in my mind, in my life. Come on, ask him right now. Lord, wash my eyes. Help me to turn away from looking at worthless things, Lord. Just send your fire, send your power, send your anointing, God. Lord, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Touch hearts, men, families, God. Restore marriages in Jesus' name. Lord, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do, Father. Lord, have your way. Mark us tonight for your glory and your kingdom, God. Holy Spirit, move in this broadcast. Holy Spirit, heal our bodies. Deliver us, God. Lord, drive out by your spirit, by your finger, according to the book of Luke. Drive out every unclean spirit, God. Lord, drive out every unclean spirit in our life right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, do what only you can do right now. Touch minds, touch hearts, touch bodies, God. Restore, restore in Jesus' name. Restore people in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost, we know you're moving in this earth, God. Don't pass us by, Lord. Lord, we cry out tonight like blind Bartimaeus. They told him to be quiet and he cried even louder because he didn't want you to pass him by. He cried out, son of David, have mercy. I pray tonight, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our kids. Have mercy on this nation, God. Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, do what only you can do. Mark us, Lord. Have mercy on us. Don't pass us by. Don't overlook us. Lord, we want revival. Lord, we want awakening. Open up our eyes. Light our soul on fire, God. Light us on fire for your glory and for your kingdom, God. Do what only you can do, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.